0: Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and when you find that, please stand with me to read God's Word. As we have for the last eight weeks, we're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Next week, we're going to be looking at other verses, and so um, this is the, the last time, at least in, uh, in, in uh, for a while, that we'll have the privilege of reading these 12 verses I hope you're not tired of them. I hope you uh, are refreshed and blessed every time you hear them uh, because this is God's word. As I said last week, it is the only perfect part of the worship service when we read God's inerrant, uh, perfect, uh, infallible, inspired word. So Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to Him. He opened His mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who "...who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted... For the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way, They persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word, and Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we've come here today to hear something from you, and um, to bow our hearts before you, and to yield to you. And Lord, uh, we thank you that we have this privilege, this extreme, extreme privilege to, to open up Copies of the Bible, your book, and read and listen and, and hear from you. Lord, we, just, we lay our, our lives at your feet today for your glory, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. For teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we need God like we need air. We need his word like we need food. And every time that we're exposed to the word of God, we are, we are accountable to God. Our hearts are laid bare before God with whom we have to do. Without God's word, mankind run, runs amok. It goes wild, uh, it goes on their, on their own way. But every time we're exposed to the Word of God, it assumes it expects a response, a response on our part, that God wants us to hear His word and act upon it, to order our lives accordingly, to order our lives according to what He says in His word. A heart response first, but secondly, actions that match. And I want to say this right from the start today, because I want you to know that this message, this this sermon, is not about something that you are to do, per se, okay? It's about something you are to receive. It invites a response, but not the response you might think. This sermon is all about receiving from God... And the response is seen as believers accept the blessing of persecution that is meant for every Christian. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they hated me, they will hate you. Jesus turned the, whole, the value system of the world upside down. He challenged the, all assumptions He challenged every assumption. He challenged the assumptions of his followers as well as his opponents. People either loved him or hated him for it. The German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche hated, hated the Sermon on the Mount. He was the son and grandson of Lutheran preachers. He rejected Christianity during his student days in 1888 he wrote a book called the antichrist it was his most violent anti-christian writing many people have been impacted and influenced by nietzsche's writings it will be interesting for you to note that in his book the antichrist he defines good as all that heightens the feeling of power the will to power Power itself in man. And he defined what is bad as all that proceeds from weakness. In answer to his own question, What is more harmful than any vice? he replied, Active sympathy for the ill constituted and weak. Christianity. He saw Christianity as a religion of pity instead of a religion of power. So he said, Nothing in our unhealthy modernity is more unhealthy than Christian pity. He despised the biblical definition of God. Here's what he said. In the entire New Testament, there is only one solitary figure that one is obligated to respect, and that is Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. In contrast, he disdained Jesus as God on the cross and Christianity as mankind's greatest misfortune. He wrote, I condemn Christianity. The Christian church has left nothing untouched by its depravity. It has made of every value a disvalue. This week, a local author's first book came out, William Lobdell's book, uh, Losing My Religion, where he claims to have gone from being a born-again Christian to being, what he says, a reluctant atheist. He was the former religion editor of the LA Times, and he says that he looked around and asked himself, do Christians act any differently than atheists? He concluded that they did not. And he also asked, does prayer work? Does prayer work? He couldn't find any evidence for it, that it did. So for these and several others, what I will call smokescreen reasons, in his words, he clung to his faith until he could cling to it no longer. He says he gave Christianity his best shot. Too bad he doesn't give any credence to Christ's sufficiency, or God's sovereignty. Another fool who says in his heart, there is no God. But be sure of this. Be sure of this. God will not compromise his standards to fit a Nietzsche or a Lobdell whose arrogance and whose depravity is so obvious to Bible-believing Christians. The only God knows the real reasons why people reject him. We don't hate enemies of the cross of Christ. We love them. We pity them. In the Beatitudes, Jesus throws down a challenge to the non-Christian world as well as to those who would align themselves with Him. And He laid down a challenge to the worldviews in operation and asked His disciples To adopt a counterculture. A counterculture set of values. No matter what people say. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer could write. With every beatitude. The gulf widened. Between Christ's disciples and the people. Their call to come forth from the people. Becomes increasingly manifest. See the beatitudes describe. Citizens of Christ's new kingdom those who come to God by faith it's a description of Christ's kingdom to believers and unbelievers alike who heard this sermon and who hear this sermon Jesus gives a description of those who acknowledge his rule in their lives it describes the character of the humble poor in spirit who mourn over their sinfulness The gentle, powerful who refuse to domineer and have an unquenchable thirst for God's righteousness to be right with God through faith in Christ. Who show mercy through physical and spiritual deeds. Who are pure at the very core of their being because of faith in Christ. And who, because of the peace that Jesus gives them, offers it to other people. Give that peace to other people. Then we come to the eighth Beatitude. It's basically like this. If you do the first uh, seven, you get the eighth free of charge. What a deal. Live in such a way, walk by the Spirit, and you can expect persecution. At least Jesus didn't sugarcoat it, right? He didn't just say, hey, by the way, it's going to be really easy to believe in me. The Beatitudes are all for the sake of Jesus. None of them are optional. It's the identity of every Christian. All who who come to faith in Christ. All the Beatitudes are a description of what it means to follow Jesus. Now in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10, Jesus makes a very amazing and thought-provoking statement Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. This word blessed, we've been looking at it over and over again. It's the Greek word makarios. And we've looked at this word from several different angles over the past eight weeks. But there's one more uh, insight I want you to see about this word makarios. It is usually written... Without expressing the agent of blessing, blessed with no attachment to who is doing the blessing. In the beatitudes, it is obvious that God is the one who is blessing, but His name is left out. His name is left out. Why? His name is left out to honor His name. See, when our la- when our name is omitted, we feel slighted, we feel dissed, you know, we feel left out, we feel hurt. How could they leave my name off the list? But God's name is left out here in reverence for His holy name. Blessed are the persecuted. Persecution is not something we're to seek. You don't have to go looking for persecution. If you go looking for it and try to bring it upon yourself, you're going get to get something, but it won't be for the right reasons. You can't instigate it. A- getting persecuted for your faith in Christ, but when evil comes upon you falsely because of Christ, it carries the blessing of God. It carries with it the blessing of God. See, God wants us to see persecution as a blessing, not a curse. In chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, what we see is the reality of the reason for and the reaction to the blessing of persecution. First, the reality of persecution. Suffering persecution is a a part of the normal Christian life. It is mandatory for all disciples. Now, since each beatitude describes what a Christian disciple is by virtue of their relationship to Jesus, you can conclude with certainty that that being despised and rejected and slandered and persecuted is just as much a normal part of being a a, a Christian as being pure in heart and merciful Romans chapter eight verse sixteen you know nowhere in the New Testament do you do you see it more clearly than with the words of paul in Romans eight verse sixteen The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's wonderful. But it says, the rest of the sentence says, If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Paul, who endured much persecution for his faith in Christ... Said in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Philippians 1.29, it says, to you it has been granted for Christ's sake. It's a gift for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Persecution is a natural consequence of following Jesus, of displaying true Christian character. See, one who lives like the Beatitudes describe will be persecuted for it. But isn't it interesting that what the world loves, God despises, and what what God loves, the world hates. See, when I love Jesus, I share him, and I invite rejection and persecution as it may come. But when I love myself, or or things that I get wrapped up in, and I and I hoard those things, then I invite the world's acceptance and congratulation for doing that. John chapter fifteen, Jesus speaking to his followers in verse eighteen, he told them of their relationship. He started with in John fifteen with their relationship to him, and then to one another, and then to the world. And in verse eighteen, he says, If the world hates you, you know it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. It's all about Jesus. Jesus said in chapter 16 of John's gospel that these are the things I spoke to you so that you will be kept from stumbling. They're going to make you outcast from the synagogue. And an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think he's offering service to God. They're going to do those things because they haven't known the Father or me. That's what Jesus said. Now in Matthew chapter 5, after he says the blessed are the persecuted, in verses 11 and 12, he makes it intensely personal. He personalizes it and says, blessed are you when people insult you. And and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. See, you here is in the plural. It's the only time it's found this way in the Beatitudes. And Jesus mentions three kinds of mistreatment. Three kinds or categories of mistreatment. The first is casting insults. Blessed are you when people cast insults at you. That's verbal abuse. Verbal abuse. It means, it means to revile someone, to, to give them a serious insult. Literally, it means to throw something in the teeth of someone else. It's abusive words said to your face. Someone literally gets in your face. They viciously mock you, revile you, despise you, reject you. Think about Jesus. He stood facing the Sanhedrin after being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was spit upon, beaten, mocked, and taunted. They said, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who's the one who beat you? As Pilate sentenced him to death, they beat him, they spit on him, and he was mocked by Roman soldiers. Verbal abuse. Jesus said, this is what they'll do to you because of me. Next, he uses the word persecution, which uh, three variations are used in these three verses. The Greek word is dioko. It means to chase away. means to drive away. It means to pursue someone with the intent to do bodily harm. It means physical um, injury. Excuse me. Physical injury. Bodily injury for the cause of Christ. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 23, Paul, the former persecutor of the church, recounts his bodily injuries for the cause of Christ. Here's what he said. Beaten times without number. Couldn't count how many times he'd been beaten. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. They stopped short of 40. Three times I was beaten with rods, he says. Once I was stoned. They, they, they threw stones at him uh, in, in hopes of killing him. Like Jesus, he was beaten unmercifully by merciless men. So, physical abuse, physical beating, the cause of Christ. The last category of mistreatment, Jesus says false accusations, slander. See, insults are abusive words that are said to your face. False accusations are abusive words said behind your back. Jesus' opponents said about him, he is a gluttonous man and a drunkard. Among other things. They said this of the sinless Christ. Can we expect any better treatment? We do. In Luke, chapter 6, verse 22, in his sermon on the plain, Jesus said, Blessed are you when men hate you, and ostracize you, and insult you, and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, because your reward in heaven is great. You're like Jesus when that happens. Jesus, in Isaiah 53, it says that he was despised and rejected of men, like one from whom men hide their face, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Don't be surprised if anti-Christian hostility increases. Be surprised if it doesn't. Be surprised if it doesn't increase. Because persecution is a reality for Christians. It may not happen 24-7, but it happens. So first, you've got the reality of persecution. And second is the reason for it. The reason for persecution. And the reason is for doing what's right, not what's wrong. Now, most people see persecution as a curse, Something like payback for whatever you've done wrong But it's the opposite of that It's not focused on us We are united with Christ We represent Christ Therefore Persecution comes our way But if you're rude, insensitive Hateful Spiteful Vengeful Really hard to get along with Full of whatever Made judgmental you you're going to be opposed you will be opposed but that's not persecution <laughs> that's what you're going to get for being inappropriate for acting inappropriately like that sometimes we say, oh, i I've, I've been being persecuted it's because we're obnoxious <laughs> oh they're they're mistreating me well it's because we brought it upon ourselves When we go overboard pursuing or consuming things that are harmful to our souls or or good things in excess that become harmful, we invite the consequences of our choices. A real persecution is like Jesus said, for the sake of righteousness, for uh, my sake, he says, on account of me, because of Jesus, not because of something we did wrong, when you are when you suffer as a Christian you're blessed. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter. Peter who denied Jesus and then suffered for him. 1 Peter chapter 3. Starting at verse 13. Peter says, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. You're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but set apart, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence, and there will be times that someone may ask you for your hope and they're not sympathetic to the cause. Keep a good conscience, he says, with those uh, who are outside so that those who revile your good behavior in Christ will, will be put to shame. Verse 17 says, if it is better, it's better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing right rather than for doing what is wrong. In 1 Peter In chapter 4, in verse 12, he says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes about upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice in exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of God and of glory rests on you. You're blessed. Did you catch what Peter said? Did you catch what he said? Peter, who was with Jesus, Peter, who heard the Sermon on the Mount, he quoted it. First Timothy, I mean, excuse me, First Peter 3.14, if you should suffer for doing what is right, you're blessed. And 4.14, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, You're blessed. He quoted Matthew 5, 10. Suffering for doing what is right finds grace with God, finds favor with God. 1 Peter 2 says that. It It finds favor. God is pouring grace upon you when you suffer for doing what is right. So that's the reason for persecution. Not because something you do wrong that you should get a natural consequence for, but for something you do right, In the name of Christ. And third, there's the reaction. The reaction to persecution. Now my my knee-jerk reaction is to run away and hide. Or to complain. Do anything you can to shield yourself from it. Alleviate it. Jesus, on the other hand, wants us to accept it. He says, rejoice and be glad. Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad rather than mope or retaliate or hide out or give up. Rejoice. Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. It doesn't seem to fit, does it? The Greek word for glad means to be overjoyed, means to skip... And to jump with excitement. How do you do that? How does the process of of rejoicing in persecution play out? I see it play out in four ways. One, he wants you to be aware of greater realities. Because in verse 12 he says, rejoice and be glad... For your reward in heaven is great. It's a greater reality in play. Heaven's reward is greater than any earthly treasure. But what Christians endure on earth doesn't get them to heaven. It is the hope of what they already possess that keeps them going. The hope of seeing what you already have as citizens of heaven is what keeps you going. See, the Beatitudes begin and end with the promise of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, in Christ we become kingdom citizens forever. Forever. No matter what happens in in the way of harm done to us here on earth, we can't lose our possession in heaven it's assured theirs is the kingdom of heaven See, God restores what sin erodes Jesus offers restoration of life to spiritual refugees on on a death march in the wilderness of the world under a sentence of death without God without hope in the world because sins power erodes all reality, all sense of reality. And false realities spring up and they parade as new realities. They parade, they parody, they, 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 they masquerade as, as, as real. It's deception. And Jesus turns the world right side up again. Makes things right. gives us a taste of heaven where the cancer of sin will be eradicated so the first thing is be aware of greater realities two, know you're in good company know that you're among friends here because in verse 12 Jesus said for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you they persecuted the prophets who were before you In James, chapter 5, and verse 11, verse 10, it says this, As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. The Lord is full of compassion and merciful. The prophets who were before us were aware of greater realities that led them, and caused them to persevere, to endure, to hang in there when the going got very rough. So know you're in good company. Third, fear God, not man. Fear God, not man. Just a few chapters over in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, Again, in verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, a slave above his master. No, not possible. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher, and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Satan, basically, how much more will they malign the members of his household? And Jesus says, therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What I whisper in what you hear whisper in your ear, proclaim on the housetops, do not fear those who kill, kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus Jesus knows. Jesus says, look, the very heads, hair on your head is numbered. Don't fear. Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. goes on to say that you need to take up your cross and follow him and suffer. Suffer. Fear God. Don't fear man. Pray for those who persecute you. The... the the fear of man is a snare. A snare is not joyful. Freedom is. The fourth thing is that we can rejoice and be glad when we are persecuted because it means we get to receive God's blessing. Well, how is persecution a blessing? When we suffer for Christ, God, God gives Gives us things. He ministers to us. What are the benefits of the blessing of persecution? The first thing is when we suffer for Christ, God comforts us. He comforts us. In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 1, we see that truth. In 2 Corinthians 1, in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. We are afflicted. When we suffer for Christ, God comforts us. When when we suffer for Christ, God blesses us with growth. We grow. Look at Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, all based upon being justified by faith in Christ and having then peace with God through Jesus Christ and, and, and standing by faith It says this, it says in verse 3, and not only this, we don't just exalt in the hope of the glory of God. We don't just celebrate because someday we'll be in heaven. But he says, we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit that was given to us. There is growth that happens when we we suffer for Christ. James said, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have have its result, so that you may be perfect and complete, that you may mature, that you may grow, that you will lack in nothing that God wants you to have. When we suffer for Christ, we're identified with Christ. At the end of the book of Galatians, Paul says in chapter 6, verse 17, From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, because I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. He bore on his body the identifying marks that he was a follower of Christ. In Philippians 3.10, his hope was that he would know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, that he would be conformed to Christ's death. When we suffer for Christ, we also experience his power. In 2 Corinthians 12, in verse 9, Paul having prayed, having suffered, and then having prayed. And God answers, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Paul was asking for a thorn in the flesh to be taken away. And Paul had been through many persecutions. He had just spoken of them in chapter 11. And here's what he said. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell on me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults. Blessed are you when people cast insults at you. With distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. Because when I'm weak, then I am strong. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. So then, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, Paul says, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the will of God, according to the power of God. One last thing, one last blessing that God showers upon us when we suffer for the cause of Christ, we experience God's presence. His presence. You will remember back to the book of Daniel in chapter 3, and Daniel's three friends were thrown into a blazing, fiery furnace, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego are walking around in the fire, untouched, unsinged, safe, and they look inside and they say, I see one like the Son of Man. I see four in there. You love Jesus more than your life? Well, Jesus will be very, very near to you. Jesus is with you. In his book, Tortured for Christ, which deals with the communist brutal treatment of Christians, Richard Wurmbrand tells of life in a communist prison. On pain of being severely beaten, preaching to other prisoners was forbidden. And here's what he wrote. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege. So we accepted their terms. A brutal beating for preaching. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. <laughs> the following scene took place more times than I can remember, Wormbrand writes. A brother was preaching to the other prisoners when the guards suddenly burst in. Surprising him halfway through a phrase They hauled him down the corridor to their beating room After what seemed like an endless beating They brought him back and threw him bruised and bloody On the prison floor And slowly He picked his battered body up Painfully straightened out his clothing And then said Now brethren Where did I leave off when I was interrupted He continued his gospel message. See, when we suffer for the cause of Christ, it leads to more, not less, sharing of our faith in Christ. Dallas Willard warned in his book The Divine Conspiracy of the effects of uh, relational respectability on our faithfulness to God. The temptation to, to play it safe, to to not play to an audience of one, to not just seek to please God, but to seek to maybe save our own life or get ourselves in good with other people. There are so many stories to tell. You could read Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can read the modern day Jesus Freaks. You can, you can read, but you can also think at the same time, yeah, but that doesn't happen in the United States. What doesn't happen? Getting beaten up for being a Christian. Okay. But what about the other two? Jesus gave three things casting insults, being beaten up, and being slandered to your face, to your body, or behind your back. So, what about those? You know, many have died for their faith in Christ. You can read about it. They refuse to deny the truth. They re, they are they were unwilling to force their way upon others. They were unwilling to fight back when fighting back would deny the love that they were trying to share to those that were mistreating them. But what about the other two? Countless times each day it happens in the public and the private arena Christ is mocked in our culture in subtle and not so subtle ways. People in the public eye, as well as employers, co-workers, neighbors, coaches, educators, fellow students, they marginalize, they intimidate, they ostracize, they condemn those who love Jesus Christ. Many Christians are afraid to stand up and be counted. Which is it? I'd rather not risk being rejected or embarrassed? Or I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? See, when we cave to the culture, we lose our influence as salt and light, which we shall be looking at for the next two weeks. But no persecution of any sort? Jesus said, don't be like them. You're different, don't hide it. See, if there is no discernible difference between us and the world, persecution doesn't come. They think we're one of them. When we play it safe, we forego the blessing of God. See, we must always be gracious when we present the gospel. What well, we must remember that the cross of Christ will be an offense to some. See, persecution is an identifying mark of a Christian, God's children. Love Jesus. Live and share the gospel. And persecution will come in some way to you. Just like Jesus said, maybe insults to your face, maybe harm to your body, maybe slander behind your back. But if your faith is genuine, it will happen. Jesus guarantees it. If you yield everything in your life to God, there will be people who oppose Christ in you, your hope of glory. Just as making peace boils down to one thing, the idea of trusting in God's sovereignty, enduring persecution boils down to one thing, understanding God's love, understanding his love. See, in his sovereignty, he has a plan, and in his love, he is working that plan out for his glory and our good. God's gracious and merciful love is in operation. Enabling believers to to face persecution. To brace themselves for sinful humanity's onslaught, even. Knowing that there are far greater realities in play. That heaven awaits. I'm going to ask a couple people to come forward right now that are going to pray for us as we close. Actually, they're not going to pray for us. They're going to pray for the persecuted church amongst whom we identify. You see, Jesus lifts up those whom the world puts down, Jesus calls the world's rejects blessed.